everybody. Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hold on. You need that right now? Well, I might need to eat it while you're pontificating about something. So I need it out and ready to go. Let's go. <laughs> You're listening to The Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to The Archaeology Show, episode 248. On today's show, we talk about a child cemetery, an Egyptian mummy who died in childbirth, and a 180-foot carving of Hercules. Let's dig a little deeper. I really got nothing. You Into just gotta listen to... chalk carved... You gotta just watch segment hills. three. And then Austin Powers, too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is... I don't know what to do with my hands, Chris. And I'm Rachel, <laughs> and we will get this right one of these days. We just spent five, five, five minutes talking not about the show or any articles <laughs> or archaeology, but how we're going to say our names. And then you mess it up. And it's only episode 248. <laughs> of course, we weren't on all those together. No, but I think I came in around 100, didn't I? Yeah, so it's two, been... 230 or it, something? No, it's been more than that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, yeah. we're professionals over here at the APN, so we'll get it right after 10 don't, to 12 times. <laughs> don't drag the rest of the APN into this. Just say TAS. <laughs> okay, just TAS. <laughs> All right, so we've been in the same place for like the last two months, but now we have... We moved. You know, yeah, we got something to say. <laughs> yeah. I think in our last one, we were like mid cross country, right? Oh yeah, we were. Yeah. 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 Now we're north of Phoenix, Arizona. We're just kind of hanging out this week before we do an event next week. And a couple weeks we'll be in... Mexico, Mexico again, so that'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, kind of yeah. hoping for some warmer, warmer areas, and I think it's thirty nine degrees right now. So yeah, we're kind of in the the mountains, if you will, yeah. between Flagstaff and and Phoenix. So it's a little colder. In fact, we're supposed to get snow tomorrow here. Yeah, but yeah. it's so gorgeous, and we're within like uh, ten minutes of Cottonwood, Arizona, and then yeah. maybe a half an hour, forty five minutes from Sedona. So. Really a gorgeous part of the country that we are excited to explore. And hey, there's tons yeah. of ruins in this area. So 
maybe we'll be visiting mm-hmm. some and doing some, you know, an episode about that kind of stuff. I got a question for you guys, too, that I need an answer to within the next week. <laughs> uh, so listen to this episode <laughs> as soon as it comes out and then email Chris immediately. Actually, if you're listening to this as soon as it comes out, I need an answer by Wednesday of the week you're listening so to So like this. in two days. Yeah, two or three okay, days. Let's that's not a big days. ask at all, but go on. Okay. What's your question? Because we're recording on Wednesdays now. We're trying to stick with that. Yeah. My question is, this is the archaeology show, right? We try to talk about archaeology, but sometimes a little bit of history squeaks in. And well, some travel, too, a little bit. And too. some travel, but... Yeah. Today, as we're recording this, we're going to the Lowell Observatory uh, in the evening in Flagstaff, and we're hopefully going to look through, if it's not cloudy, the Clark Telescope, which is the one Percival Lowell looked through and first riled up the whole world about canals on Mars. Mm -hmm. Now, none of this is archaeological, but I mean, it really, it it is actually, I think it is actually a national historic site Mm -hmm. because if this were all buried in ruins, it would be archaeological. This was the early 1900s. It's important historical and an important historical area for sure. Actually, I think it was the late 1800s that he actually built the telescope and was doing that. I think that's what you said when you were researching it last night. Anyway, it's been in consistent use ever since then. There's Mm -hmm. other research telescopes up there and it's just really cool. And I'm like, would, would that be appropriate to talk about like our visit up there and some of the history up there, even though it's not really archaeology because it hasn't been buried yet? Mm. What makes archaeology? Does it have to be buried and forgotten to be archaeology or can it be just like old? Well, we definitely veer into like the land of history pretty often. Yeah. But like it's history backed up by archaeology because they are they do go hand in hand. And even in the UK, isn't archaeology technically like a branch of of the history department? Yeah. Isn't that how it works over there? Yeah. So if you want to do a an episode where you do like the history of that telescope and that planetarium and maybe other ones as well mm-hmm. then i think that would fall into the, yeah. the category of our show but all right we'll see what other people think well maybe we'll bring our fancy new dji mics up there and do a little on the spot recording mm, maybe yeah that'd be fun i don't all like right. to do stuff around muggles so we'll see <laughs> all right well other people that didn't like to do stuff was 54 children they were found in a cemetery in turkey <laughs> That uh, that's terrible. Yeah, that was pretty terrible, actually. Yeah. Really disrespectful <laughs> to kids that died, albeit 1500 years ago, but still. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. OK, so this first article, like you just said, is called a cemetery belonging to 54 children was found during the excavation in the old quarry in Diyarbakir, Turkey. <laughs> that's probably totally wrong. It probably is, but I'm going to go with it because I don't have any any better pronunciation. And so what's going on here is that the Diyarbakir Museum started working in what's called the Kulp District of the city of Diyarbakir, which is in southeastern Turkey. And they started working there in 2021. And it was sort of specifically in this one part of this district in a neighborhood called Inkaya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's surprising to me that they were doing a... I mean, this is the kind of project where you'd think they'd just pop in and excavate because it's kind of like in the middle of a... Mm-hmm place where people live right like it something is like yeah that. it's like right in the middle of the city it looks like today yeah but they did do a pedestrian survey and they found several coins belonging to the byzantine emperor anastasius one or the first i guess mm-hmm. yeah and i mean i guess they did these surveys to know where to excavate right like that's why you do a survey yeah so there's you know it gave them some good information on what to do and it prompted a larger scale excavation in the Inkaya neighborhood and last year one of the things that they discovered was the remains of a 1,500-year-old church. So this would be early Christian times, like Byzantine Christianity, right? So not really exactly what we know as Christianity today, but sort of that transition period between like pagan and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And 
kind of in the Middle East, too, where you've got like the Muslim influence as well. So it's kind of like the nexus of all of that there. So it's definitely an interesting brand of Christianity that's going on there. Yeah. Well, through their excavations, they found 54 graves all belonging to children in the ages of zero to six. Yeah. So a whole kid's cemetery. Yeah. And it wasn't at the actual church. It was in an old quarry yeah. that's like next to the church, which is kind of important. But we'll get to that in a minute. A cemetery being devoted only to children is super rare mm-hmm. in the archaeological record. There's just not a lot of examples of that. And they're very interested to figure out like why, why those children died, like what is going on with it. And they plan to do a detailed analysis of the skeletal remains. So we don't have that information yet, Mm -hmm. but it should be coming as they continue to do work here. So obviously the quarry predates the burials. And the, the best guess right now is that after the quarry activities were done, whether it was by the culture that buried the children or a previous culture, that they then turned this this area into a necropolis. It was close to the church, I guess. So if you're assuming that the burials are related to the church, which I don't think they've actually made that connection with evidence yet. It's right now just like an assumption because of their proximity. But the idea is that it was close to the church. So that's why it got turned into this necropolis for children. I'm interested in the difference between the word cemetery and necropolis because it's not a city of the dead. It's just a bunch of buried kids. I don't know. And this article, the people that they're interviewing are definitely English second language. You can tell by the way they use words sometimes in their quotes. So it might just be a translation issue going on there. I'm not I'm not really sure if they intended a difference between those two words or not. Yeah. In these graves, too. Sometimes they saw one more than one child buried in a single grave. I was I always wonder if that's like siblings that were buried together or just maybe it was just expedient they had two children that they needed to bury at the same time so digging one grave rather than two was easier i, I don't know mm-hmm. but again that's something that they're kind of hoping to tell when they do more analysis on the skeletons and a lot of work was put into this too the remains were actually placed in a carved out limestone cyst so this is a limestone quarry presumably yeah and so they carved out the limestone or probably there was some already some help because it was a quarry and, and some things were naturally carved out. Not yeah, they probably quarried out. Yeah, exactly. Um, they made they use would, of the natural format formations right. that were already there or not natural, but quarried. yeah, yeah. The yeah. quarried ones. Yeah. And then they would close that with a piece of limestone, like a slab like yeah. just to cover it. Right. They don't really specify that. I, I put a question mark that cause I think that's what they meant by yeah. it was covered in limestone was what they put. So I would assume that yeah. would be like a limestone slab. I well, guess it could be crumpled up. Yeah. Limestone too, right. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, the graves were all oriented east-west. Yeah. So some of those they would have to have excavated out unless yeah. this quarry was specifically made for this, which we don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they would have had to have made them orient that direction if they're all that way. Here's the crazy thing, though. Why is it all kids? And yeah. I'm wondering, did they all die at the same time because yeah. of an illness? Yeah. You know? Well, and they think, based on their initial assessment of the skeletons, that they did not all die from the same illness or epidemic. Mm-hmm. Again, they don't specify why they think that. I, and it's just from visual analysis of the skeletons so far. But this is where it gets really interesting for me. Their hypothesis right now is that this relates to like early Christian baptism culture. Okay. And what I mean by that, or what they mean by that, is that before the 10th century CE, it was actually illegal to baptize children. It was a ritual that was reserved for adults only. But you know what that means, right? If you're not baptized, you're not Christian, you're a heathen, right? Like you're not (laughs) accepted into the Christian faith yet. Yeah. And because of that, you weren't allowed 
to bury them inside of church into like these, the hollowed Mm. grounds of the church, you have to be buried outside of the church. So they're hypothesizing that this was a special cemetery area set up just for unbaptized children. And lots of kids die, especially in that age range, zero to six. Yeah. Uh, I mean, people had lots of children back then because life was hard. Yeah. You know, medical care wasn't super great. And if if a kid was going to be having struggles or something like that, there's not a lot they could do for him. So that'd be the other interesting analysis from this is to find out if these kids had some sort of... Some like sort of thing, maybe? yeah. That could that could be identified in their skeletal remains because yeah. not everything expresses on the skeletal skeletal remains. Yeah, but yeah, teeth for sure would give you a good idea of yeah. nutrition and diet and stuff to know if that was maybe contributing to the cause right. of death. But and we again, we don't know for sure that this children's cemetery is associated with the church, but mm-hmm. the church is from fifteen hundred years ago, and it is in that time frame when kids wouldn't have been baptized. So it is kind of an assumption, but I think they're hoping to like connect those two as well when they do more analysis. So yeah, there is another children's cemetery in Turkey and the burials from this one all date to the 10th and 11th centuries around the time when baptism, baptism of children was legalized. Yeah. So that's at that like transition period, but it is the same idea where the cemetery is children only. Well, it also makes you wonder like those sort of decrees on when you can baptize somebody. Mm -hmm. I got two problems with that. First off, what did they consider an adult back then? It wasn't 18. Yeah. And second, how long did it take that message to get from the Vatican? Yeah. You know? Yeah. How long did that take to get down there? And then how long did it take the people to just go, oh, okay, we're doing this now? Mm-hmm. Not like, I mean, did they really follow the rules that way? Yeah. Or were they like, mm, this is how I we've mean, always done it? So 1500 years ago, was the Vatican even like a thing yet? Like issuing well, I'm decrees? At, I'm looking at the 10th and 11th oh, centuries. Tenth, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know sure, if the Vatican is that old, to be honest. Yeah. But there, there was a Pope or yeah. somebody in charge of the Catholic Church. Yeah, for sure. So, I'm not, my, my knowledge of that history isn't super great. Come on, Catholic. But, <laughs> I know. And I'm actually thinking about it. And I'm like, well, this children's cemetery only had kids from zero to six, presumably that would mean they were baptized over the age of six, which is not adult, but I guess an adult in the eyes of the church, maybe, which was why they were allowed to be baptized. Well, again, what's adult? Yeah. And I think probably every church, there's regional differences and they were doing what worked for their area because I don't think it was as cohesive as it became later on. So it's interesting because I know until relatively recently, Adult in women was when they started menstruating. Yeah. But what does that mean for a boy? I think they just lumped them in together. It's about the same time period. I guess. But so in the Catholic religion, there's the first communion, which happens around the age of six. So Mm -hmm. maybe baptism and first communion were kind of like jumbled in together in this early Christian time period. I'm just hypothesizing right now because I don't know. I don't really know. I'd have to do the research to know what kind of traditions they had in that time period in that in that place, too. Because like I said, regional differences, right? Like there Mm -hmm. very well could have been some. So anyway, the other interesting thing that they found in association with that other cemetery of children was a baptistry. Baptistry? Baptistry, I would say. Baptistry, B-A-P-T-I-S-T-E-R-Y. I'll always spell things, but I'm not sure how (laughs) how to pronounce them. But that was found in association with that cemetery. And I think that's where you would baptize children. So I think it makes sense to have a whole area that is both the place for children who aren't baptized to be laid to rest and also the place where they get to enter into, you know, Christianity, into the church with their baptism. So they haven't found one yet at this cemetery, but if it is what they think it is, then they, they probably will find something like that at some point. So, yeah. 
All right. Well, one thing we do know is that Egyptian teenagers were probably adults because <laughs> they were having kids, sometimes not successfully. We'll talk about that on the other side. Hey, Archaeology Podcast fans. Anyone that's heard me on a show has likely heard me mention coffee one or probably a thousand times. Coffee, however awesome it is, has some downsides and should be consumed in moderation. That's why we partnered with Laird Superfoods. They've got lots of stuff, but their coffee and coffee creamers have been engineered to taste better, provide functional benefits, and don't contain any refined sugars. So are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code ARCPODNETFEED at checkout and save 15% on your purchase today. You can also click the link in your show notes. Welcome back to episode 248 of The Archaeology Show. Who's that? <laughs> you made me do that. I hate bringing it in. That's your job. <laughs> this next article is called Ancient Egyptian Teenager Died While Giving Birth to Twins Mummy Reveals. Everything's a mummy over there. <laughs> well, that's what they did. But we actually have a couple articles and the actual paper about this that's linked in the show notes. So you can go see all the images and read all about it because it's actually really super cool and interesting. So this is an Egyptian mummy of a teenage girl who was between the ages of 14 and 17. And she was first discovered in 1908. And what this study is doing is just re-examining the remains because it's been over a century since anybody has even really looked at them. Yeah, when they first found her, they identified the bandaged body of a fetus and the remains of a placenta wedged between the girl's legs. So clearly Cle dialed yeah. during childbirth. Yeah, it's kind of clear what happened. Yeah. The mummy dates to sometime between the late dynastic period, which is from 712 to 332 BCE, and the Coptic period, which is between 395 and 642 CE. So that's actually kind of a big range. Yeah. I don't know why they couldn't date it better than Over that. Over a thousand years. Yeah. But it's right at that like turn of the millennia, basically. I guess there was nothing else identifying on or around the mummy to really nail down that time range. Probably that, not. Because Egypt is pretty good about that. I mean, yeah. that's... Kind of crazy. I think it's because it's between the dynasties. So when you're between them and it's not a specific, you don't have the specific things associated with the, a time period to help you narrow in on the date, maybe. Yeah. Another way they know she died during childbirth for sure. And this just wasn't symbolic. Was that in 1908, they opened up the abdomen of the girl and found a fetus skull stuck inside the birth canal. Yeah. So if you're so. keeping track of what we've talked about here, there was bandaged remains outside of the body between her legs and then a skull inside of her body. Yeah. So it sounds like the skull of the fetus was separated from the rest of the body, which I guess can happen during a breech birth because mm -hmm. when your legs come first and if the head doesn't follow properly, it gets stuck. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to go into gory detail. You can kind of imagine what happened there, but the head definitely got stuck and she died during childbirth. That's pretty yeah. obvious. Yeah, the, back then in 1908, they didn't really know what to do with this. They didn't have a lot of analytical tools. So yeah. they just jotted it down as the first time a mummy was found in Egypt where somebody had died in childbirth. and Like, obviously. Yeah, yeah. kind of moved on about their business. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't take until 2019 when Francine Margulies and a CT scan did the rest of the work. And yeah. she did this for her master's thesis research. Yeah. And I don't think she went into this expecting to find a second fetus, but that yeah. is exactly what she did find. The second fetus was discovered to be lodged in the girl's chest, mm. which I know is not where fetuses usually are. So that is weird. It's unclear how that happened, but their best guess is that the small body of the second second baby sort of migrated upward during the decomposition process 
one of the articles even said that if the embalmers didn't know there was a second baby in there, mm. then they they wouldn't have done the embalming stuff correctly to account for a second body in there potentially. Right. And then the decomposition would have happened differently than it normally did. And that would be why there was some movement inside the abdominal and chest cavity. So that's their best you know, guess anyway. I do know during certain periods, and I don't know a lot about this, but they would take out the internal organs of somebody mm -hmm. like some of these higher end mummies it would take out the internal organs and put them in jars yeah uh, coptic jars I think yeah. they were called. so i'm wondering like did they is it possible that they intentionally placed this second fetus in her chest cavity I just because they're like well we cleared it all out so let's place it here because this is kind of a burial inside the mother it died in the mother yeah so let's put it in here i don't know it's weird. It's entirely we don't have possible. a lot of examples, so we don't really know. Yeah. Like, how would you know if it had been taken out and then put back in, essentially? I guess mm -hmm. it's it's really almost impossible to know. It would be weird that they would wrap up the body of the of the other one and put it outside outside of her leg, like in her legs, and well, then not do that with the second one. That's where it died. Yeah. I don't know. The other one hadn't been born yet. Yeah, true. So one was inside twins. and one was outside. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. The the migration theory of it kind of moving up her chest, I think is blown out of the water per, for me personally by this next comment where the CT scan showed that the bones and skull of the fetus were facing down as if positioned for birth. How would they have maintained that position? But also migrated but up. But also migrated up. Yeah. You can't have best of both. You can't like, have both. You can't move in one direction only. These are in the notes that I took, and I put that it was facing down as if positioned for birth. They don't make that conjecture. Oh, okay. I just I just noticed in the CT scan yeah. that the skull is facing downward, which I thought was interesting gotcha. because if you know she's getting ready to you know go into labor, that's mm -hmm. what happens is the babies are facing down. Ah, so okay. yeah. so it's possible that you know it wasn't facing down, and then it just moved into that position mm -hmm. through this natural decomposition process. Yeah. So Margulies and her co-author David Hunt re-examined the mummy physically what they had of it which we'll tell you about that in a minute mm -hmm. <laughs> and they also used the notes and documents from the initial 1908 discovery to sort of like build the picture of this girl and her life yeah and they found that she likely died <laughs> i mean it's kind of obvious but she likely died while delivering the first baby it would have been breach and the head got stuck essentially like we yeah. said and it's possible that nobody at the time even knew that there were twins in there. Like mm -hmm. if she died during the birth of the first baby, how would they even know there was a second one if they didn't have the technology to know that, you know? Yeah, twins and, and more was probably always a surprise back in the day. Yeah, probably. And also she was probably only about five feet tall and weighed mm -hmm. maybe 100 to 120 pounds. So she was tiny. Well, at the low end, she was 14. Yeah, I know. So just just a tiny little thing, trying to have two babies. That small stature and her youth really was probably a contributing factor to mm -hmm. the unsuccessful delivery of the twins. But as we alluded to before, there's another problem with the current state of the mummy today. <laughs> Since 1908, the head of the mummy has been lost. How do you lose a head? I don't know. Like, where did it go? It's right? on somebody's to dresser. Yeah, I know. It's probably in some private collection somewhere. Yeah. But there's a surprisingly great photo of it from 1908. And her hair is arranged in these really elaborate, beautiful mm. braids all over her head. It's it's makes you feel so sad for yeah. the sad end that she came to. Such a short life. And when somebody takes so much care to like braid her hair, it just makes it even more like real and human, you know. Mm -hmm. But without that head, they, they can't analyze the teeth for clues about the girl's health, nutrition and diet. Yeah. And also they would have gotten more information about her exact age, too, I think, if they had the head. So 
that's why they've got this range and then they're doing the best they can with what they've got. Yeah. So there's a couple other things that are noted just about identifying remains that were in the middle of childbirth. Cause that's a really hard thing to pinpoint. Yeah. We find a lot of, of female skeletons with infants next to them. And so you kind of make the assumption that maybe that happened during childbirth, but it could have been days, weeks or months after, and they're still buried together. So having remains in that exact moment of childbirth that that's when death occurred. That is a little bit unusual. I mean, these were Egyptians. They may have thought that by burying the mother and children that way or Uh child, if they didn't know the other one was there in the afterlife, she could continue. Maybe. Yeah. And like have a successful birth. And yeah, yeah, that's totally possible. Well, we only have about 20 examples of what would be considered death during childbirth. And that definition is the presence of a full-term infant and also a deformed or obstructed pelvis. Those two things together are what Mm -hmm. they are calling death during childbirth or has been called that in the past. And then these two researchers, they're actually suggesting an even narrower definition, which is archaeological evidence to demonstrate fetal or placental remains in the birth canal or protruding from the vagina and that will reduce it to only seven wow. examples of this in like known examples of this in the archaeological record. So, so it's more like there's seven, maybe 20. <laughs> yeah. Seven, maybe 20, seven for sure. Maybe 20. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's so super rare to find this, which is just another thing that makes it so cool and interesting. Yeah. They note that also something interesting about twins is that in ancient Egypt, they were not desirable. Probably because they're they, dangerous. Like, I, you know, like to have twins. Were they were they dangerous from a medical standpoint or dangerous from like a Spiritual, superstitious standpoint? Maybe. Like, I don't know. Oh my God, that's a person and that's another person <laughs> that looks exactly like him. That's weird. All we know is that there's a spell called the oracular amuletic decree. Yeah, I've that, used that. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Found on ancient papyrus then, and it was meant to that's prevent That's all birth. spells are. Yes, on ancient papyrus. ancient papyrus. That's the only place you can have a spell, yeah. actually. And that spell said... In quotes, so this is translated from hieroglyphics, of course. We shall, in parentheses, cause her to conceive male children and female children. We shall keep her safe from Horus birth, from an irregular birth, and from giving birth to twins. <laughs> so I guess Horus means birth. Is that probably what that meant? I have no idea. The whole thing is in quotes. But basically, yeah. we'll keep her safe from the birth itself, from an irregular birth, and from giving birth to twins. Because, yeah. you know. By the time you're pregnant, you can stop the whole twins things from happening, right? I mean, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, like, it's kind of happening already, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, super interesting. I I love finding, you know, these very rare examples in the archaeological record because you know it happened, right? Like you know that women died giving birth to twins and just giving birth in general. But to have actual physical evidence of it, which Mm -hmm. is so tragic, I get that, but also like so fascinating from a historical, archaeological, biological standpoint. So this, I thought this whole story was so cool. All right. Well, we're going to move on because another thing that's cool is somebody (laughs) doing the naked man move for way longer than we thought they were. (laughs) (laughs) There's your How I Met Your Mother reference. Oh my God. (laughs) Back in a minute. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 248. And we're talking about a guy who was a huge... No. <laughs> guy right. who has a huge... He, no. No. Tracts of land. <laughs> Anybody that knows that reference. Again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So article is called 180 foot early medieval carving of naked bald man with club is probably Hercules. That's, I mean, that's just rude. <laughs> New studies, studies suggest. So anyway, there's an early medieval artwork, very popular yeah, um, in very the English obvious. countryside. Yeah. It's carved into the chalk bedrock on a hillside above the village of Cern Abbas in Dorset, England. I mean, Anybody who's ever seen some sort of big figure from England has probably mm-hmm. seen this one. Yeah, for sure. He's yeah, there's a few of them. Super big, super naked, holding a club. And like the lines are so shockingly white. It's so hard to miss it for yeah. sure. And so this new study is postulating that it was likely created to mark a meeting point for West Saxon armies that were getting ready to fight invading Vikings. Mm hmm. The Vikings were just looking for some place to put a ship burial. And And then just a little more history about the the figure itself. After it was made in, you know, medieval times or whatever, monks in Cern Abbas reinterpreted the huge carving to be a local saint called Edwald. Mm -hmm. And the article author noted that they probably wouldn't have chosen to portray their patron saint of Edwald. As naked, but it was already there and they would rather co-opt it to be something that they approved of rather than some pagan reference. So yeah. that's probably why they they did that. I mean, this figure is, I mean, again, it is a naked man. You yeah. can see nipples. You can see like ribs or like a six pack. Yeah. Literally yeah. a six He's pack. strong. <laughs> yeah. And then a huge penis. Yes. Not only a huge penis, but like a huge erect penis. Yes. Like the guy's super excited. Yeah. And I mean, this thing's longer than our RV. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. It's 26 feet long. Is yeah. what I read. Yeah. Yeah. The penis. Um, the penis. <laughs> That's not <laughs> longer did, than an RV. I did read that <laughs> it might have been enlarged and elongated over the years and Whoa. made more obvious by Various different people. That's what I was going to say. All yeah. you would have to do is add these naked features to make it yeah. a naked man. Otherwise, yeah. it's not a naked man. I'm not sure if they can tell. Well, they probably could tell with, with different dating. OSL? We, yeah. We'll get to OSL and what it is and yeah. what, how they used it. But they probably could use that to tell the the time frame on each different you yeah. know, appendage or part of the figure. I think I said in the end of the last segment that they thought it was older than it is, but actually yeah. younger than they thought it is. Yeah. Um, they thought it was prehistoric, but yeah. I guess these new dates are from 2021, which is when this research is from, mm-hmm. are actually dating it to between 700 and 1110 CE. So yeah. that's much newer than they expected, but fits right with this sort of narrative that they've started to be able to construct around right. it. One thing they used to do this dating is called OSL dating or optically stimulated luminescence. 
And just a really quick thing on, on OSL dating is it's not used to date organic material like carbon dating is. Right. Um, it's used to date minerals. Right. And certain types of minerals. And I mean, not to get too technical because I couldn't do that anyway. <laughs> when something is exposed to sunlight, it basically resets this signal, right? Okay. It resets this charge, so to speak, mm-hmm. that it has on it. And then once it's covered for a while, this charge builds up based on just the natural radiation of the planet. It builds up and, and these electrons get trapped in a certain layer, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they, they once get, it's dark, once it's not exposed once to Once it's not exposed, anymore. these electrons get trapped and more and more okay. electrons get trapped over time, right? Mm-hmm. And then they go stimulate it with these tools. And first off, it's stimulated with light. But if you were to take this this thing and uncover it and expose it to sunlight, mm-hmm. it takes less than 60 seconds to reset it again. Okay. Can take light. It can take longer for depending on the mineral. Yeah, yeah. But it can take as little as 60 seconds so to just ruin it. BDNC is definitely <laughs> yeah. required when handling well, anything you're going to test like this. You've almost got to collect it in the dark. Yeah. You know, like cover it and make I sure it's never they, been exposed. I wonder if they do it at night. For that, that would, I mean, that would help, but yeah. still reflected moonlight oh, would still, would, you know, would, would affect it. it. Right. So anyway, they, they expose, they, they bring the thing into the lab in the dark and then they, they bombard it with, I want to say lasers or something, but mm-hmm. they bombard it with something that allows these electrons to be released and move to the next layer up. That's what happens. There's mm-hmm. a electron hole relationship, they call it. An electron moves from a lower layer to an upper layer. When it does that, it releases a photon. There's an energy that mm. is generated from that. That's a pretty common mm-hmm. physics thing. Yeah. And those photons are basically counted. Okay. They're basically measured. Okay. Right. And the the more there are, the older it is. Oh, okay. Um, so okay. Th- there's a lot more to it to yeah. say like what type of material, where is it buried? Right. You know, what kind of things are happening. But they've used this to actually not only these types of things where they can flip over a rock or something like that that's been upside down for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. But that I've read that they've actually used OSL dating to measure when like old stream channels have moved. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah, because oh. you can see the you can see the rocks for like an old channel and you can yeah. go if you go measure those with OSL dating, you know that the last time that was exposed to sunlight, which means because t- things tumble around in streams yeah. and stuff like that. So the last time it was exposed to sunlight was this many thousand years ago. And hmm. um, I also read too, that this, this is accurate ish up to about 150,000 years. I was just going to ask that, like how yeah. far back can you go with it? Okay. But that's really great though, because that it's a dating technique that you can use on some of these really old sites that, yeah. you know, once carbon dating just isn't op- an option anymore, or yeah. if you don't have carbon based things to date. So that's yeah, cool. it works on quartz and, and other similar type materials. Mm. Um, but not all, not all things like it. I don't think it works on like granite, for example. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But anyway, that's a little quick so that's thing on what OSL. They use. So I guess the chalk material that is in these lines would, if they collected like a below, a layer from below what's been exposed to the surface yeah, is what they could date yeah. in this particular circumstance. Not really. It would have to have been something that was exposed to the surface when they did this. Yeah. To get an Maybe actual like the, date and then, and then covered. From what I understand about the construction of these is they would dig the trench, which, mm-hmm. which would be the outline of the shape. And then they would sort of fill it in with the chalk, the right. natural chalk from the countryside. So you'd have to presume and, and take a number of samples because something something could have been, I guess, not exposed ever during yeah. the excavation and de- deposition process. So you'd want to take a few of them yeah. and then look underneath. And then also have to be, I, I would assume, kind of deep in the burial just to make sure that it hasn't been affected in the last thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. Like kicked you know? over by somebody walking yeah. over it or whatever. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, if you sample a bunch of these things and you come up with the same date range, yeah. that's pretty conclusive. Which it sounds like that's what they did here. Yeah. So that's, that's why they're able to release this paper that is saying all this stuff and yeah. But also, like we were just talking about, it would be interesting for them to pinpoint the dating at different 
parts of it. Cause like he's holding a club. He's got a club in his right hand mm-hmm. and then his left hand is outstretched. They're saying that it, it's likely that he originally held Hercules's iconic lion skin, which he would have obtained from the slaying of the beast during his 12 labors. And well, I mean, that's if they're assuming that it's Hercules and I don't know how they're concluding that there used to be something there that is now gone or yeah. maybe the monks didn't want that bit there. Well, so they destroyed it. Who, they who left knows? the penis. Come on. Well, but um, the, if the penis is later from a later well, time period, it's, it's like graffiti from the 1600s or something, you know, it's like, like some Randy farmer, but that's when, if this whole dating thing could come into play and help them pinpoint if it did come in later. So I just feel like with all the research they've done, especially like around Stonehenge and things to, to identify old, trenches and things mm-hmm. if this really would have been like a carved in thing that they mm-hmm. would have seen hanging over his arm you would be able to find that evidence pretty easily out of imagine you would think yeah you yeah. would think so well i'm just not sure about that yeah but yeah. they are going forward with this idea that it was meant to be hercules because the myth of hercules would have been well known in the middle ages and there's actually a spike of interest in that myth in the ninth century ce which is sort of right in the, mm-hmm. the range where this could have been created. And that club that's in his right hand is sort of an identification marker for Hercules, along with the missing lion skin that may or may not have been there at some point. (laughs) That club is pretty gnarly. It's like, it is. uh, It's like, you sure this isn't Negan from the walking dead? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Oh God, that's a terrifying thought, but I could totally see him terrorizing the English countries right? or a character like Negan. Anyway, With his penis there's out. your walking dead reference for the day. We're yes. just chock full of pop culture references. Indeed. Yeah. This carving is located about 16 miles or 26 kilometers south of Portland, not Oregon, not Oregon. or Maine, which is the location of the first recorded encounter between Anglo-Saxons and Viking Raiders in the 700s. There are other medieval chalk carvings in the region with this one being the largest of them. And yeah, just, you could look. I'm trying to think of what some of the others I can think of. I think there's a bird, maybe, or something. Yeah. There's another man. I know that. Yeah, uh, I can't remember, but there's a there's a few of them. And there, the thought is is that these were like meeting or rallying places for the local forces to gather in their fight against the invading Vikings. Yeah, but of course, the reality is none of them could get high enough to even see what this was. So it's clearly for aliens, and it's saying, <laughs> "Hey, oh my God. land over here." <laughs> We need to talk to Frederick. <laughs> he needs to talk about this on his show now. <laughs> yes. Go listen to the digging up ancient aliens, digging up ancient aliens. Yeah. yeah. I, I, we call it digging aliens on our back end. Yeah. And I keep wanting to call it that and forget what the show is and called. Sometimes we just call it aliens too, which is not good oh, yeah. because no. like it's about how it's all wrong. Yeah. And it's not, not about aliens. aliens at all. No. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's about how it's not aliens. So anyway, that's a show in the archaeology podcast network. Go check it, it is. Out. It's so good. You should yeah. listen to it. So the CERN Abbas giant is a, a great location near freshwater and supplies from local estates. So it's a, Another reason, you know, another why, reason to just kind of be here. Yeah, why they would rally there, yeah. there potentially for getting ready to fight them damn Vikings. It's kind of funny the the outline around it is like a pentagram, but it's really probably just the I fence. I saw that. Yeah, I think it's the fence protecting oh, it. Oh, <laughs> I bet you're right. Yeah. I bet you're totally right. I doubt that was put yeah. there in, in early times. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, because you can see the path going going across the hill. Yeah. to get to it, so. It could yep. be a path around it too, but I'm sure it's a path. And yeah. another interesting thing too is that this hasn't been known forever and ever because I guess these chalk drawings, it's really easy for the grass and the brush around it to overgrow it and completely obscure it. So in these areas that are overgrown, it's possible that there's more of them that just haven't been found yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe not because like, you know, there's a lot of people 
that have been here over the last thousand years. So I feel like they would have found it, but you never know. Maybe they'll find, I don't know who was Hercules's like, like lady. Maybe they'll find somebody else on another hilltop. Maybe that's who he's reaching towards with that empty left hand. Wow. (laughs) This head is weird too. It's It's very small, small, right? Yeah. It's almost like they did the club first because it's very big. Yeah. And they're like, crap, we need a head. They squeeze it in. (laughs) Why is his right shoulder so square too? Like the left shoulder just like slopes off. You know, we look at early (laughs) artwork and we're like, man, those guys were so good, but like not all of them were. And this would have been really hard to do without an aerial perspective. Yeah. (laughs) Like they probably didn't realize that the right shoulder was so square and it's not like they could have gotten up into the sky and seen it the way we can see it. So they they definitely didn't have the talent (laughs) of the early Peruvians, like with the Nazca lines, because those things are some works. I mean, they look like they had somebody sitting up in an airplane going, nope, put this one over here. They do. The engineering on those are pretty amazing. The engineering on this is amazing too, not to take Mm, away from it, but. I'm taken away. Look, they put a lot of work into that penis and those ad lines. Well, okay. Yeah. You know, early romance that, novel. Uh, the, that's going to be the title of the show, by the way. They put a lot of work into that penis. <laughs> so That is a hundred percent. Not the title <laughs> of this article or this episode. <laughs> that's what I the title of the article too. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Well, we are going to end on that note, I guess. Yeah, I sure. guess. Great. Yeah. Talking about giant penises over here at TAS. And with that, we'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.